This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, if you were thinking of learning or trying to improve a second language, you'd agree that a bilingual Toastmasters club could be a perfect place to do so. And guess what? Today's guest is an absolutely perfect person to tell us about that. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Greg, today's guest is Gwyneth Jones. Gwen is an experienced translator, course creator, copywriter, and a member of Toastmasters Sevilla in Seville, Spain. She blogs and offers courses for translators at The Translator Studio, available at translatorstudio.co.uk. Gwyneth Jones, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to speak here today. Buenos dias, Gwyneth. Buenos dias, Ryan. (laughs) Gwen, your article in the April issue of the Toastmaster magazine It's a great article. We'll talk a little bit more about that shortly, but I really want to hear a little bit more about your journey, how you started in the UK and then you ended up in Spain. Yes. Well, I can't say it was a a great life plan that I had. I did French and Spanish at university. And then when I graduated, I just wanted to travel. What I decided I'd do would be trained to be an English teacher. And I didn't really mind where I wanted it to be in France or Spain. And so I got on Google and I think I went with the first course I found, which happened to be in Seville and off I went. Then I fell in love with the city. I got a job quite easily here teaching English. It's pretty easy in Spain to work as as an English teacher. There's massive demand for it. And then I made some great friends and well, eventually I met the man who would become my husband. And then it was really a done deal. I wasn't going anywhere else. (laughs) <laughs> is he a caballero <laughs> uh, yeah he's yeah he's born born in seville Sevillano. when you belong to a bilingual toastmasters club called toastmasters sevilla as ryan introduced can you tell us a little bit about the club and if i read correctly i think most of your meetings are in spanish but then you also have an english meeting yes that's right the club meets every week on a wednesday the meetings start at 7 p.m spain time When the pandemic hit, obviously they went online just as everybody did. But I think perhaps because of the bilingual nature of the club, they have an English session on the second Wednesday of a month. And so the club attracted people from outside Seville. When the pandemic, I mean, it's not over, but when we were able to start meeting in person again, there were a lot of people that appreciated being being able to attend online. And so they continued with hybrid sessions. So now you can go, you can go to the meeting in person, but there's also people who are attending online and you can see them on the screen during the meeting. Gwen, I'm guessing since your club is in Spain, I'm assuming that most of the members are native Spanish speakers. Is, is that right? Yes, the majority of the members are native Spanish speakers. I'm the only member of the club who's a native English speaker, although there are um, there's a very high level of English in the club. And there's a certain number of people who aren't from Spain or the UK. They're actually there. English would be their third language. We have a member from Belgium and we have a member from the Czech Republic, for instance. Oh, wow. Gwen, something I found really interesting in your article 
is that despite your having a bachelor's degree in both French and Spanish, actually, you've expressed that you found yourself in the club oftentimes feeling like a fish out of water at your bilingual meetings. I'm curious, why was that and how did you deal with it? And I'll throw in a third question. Is there any hope for those of us who don't have a degree in (laughs) Spanish (laughs) to attend a Spanish bilingual meeting? It's like it never goes away. In the end, you're always speaking in your second language and it's never going to be as good as your native language. Even, I mean, I've lived in Spain for nearly 20 years now, but I don't think I will ever get to be as comfortable speaking in Spanish as I am in English because you just don't have the same range of vocabulary. You just never get to have that level of comfort. I ask myself, why, 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 does, why does it make me nervous? I think it must be lack of control. You just never, you're never going to feel as much in control when you're in your second language. And so that feeling, it doesn't go away because it actually isn't based on how good your, your language skills are. I was listening to podcast episode 127, where you, I heard you talking about an icebreaker that you did and you expressed this feeling of just, I'm so nervous because I'm speaking in my second language. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it because there are so many other things that we do wrong all the time when we're speaking in our native language, like saying um and ah, tripping over our words, saying the wrong thing. We do all of that stuff anyway, but that doesn't bother us when we're speaking in our native language. But then all of a sudden, when we're speaking in our second language, it's like, oh no, this has, this has to be absolutely perfect or, or it's a disaster. I don't know. That, that's the feeling I get. I don't know if you can relate to that. <laughs> absolutely. I'm still thinking about what Gwen just said about the icebreaker. For me, it was interesting, my Spanish icebreaker, because my brain went English, French, Italian, and then Spanish. But (laughs) that was a little bit of a disaster. (laughs) Right. That's so true. If I tried to, because I mean, French is there as my third language, but the minute I tried to speak French, half of it comes out in Spanish. Ah, there you go. Gwen, why don't we get into some of the tips that you share in your article, which, by the way, appears in the April 2022 issue of the Toastmaster. It's called Seven Tips to Attend a Bilingual Toastmasters Meeting. And Greg, why don't you kick us off with our first question related to the tips? I love the tips that you provide. And one of them was warm up your brain by watching an online video. What's your thought process behind that? I think that I mean I don't I don't know the science behind any of this but it's like the same way you war, you warm up if you're going for a run you don't just start from walking and then sprinting you warm those muscles up and it just makes everything more flexible and move more easily and I think the same thing happens with your brain whatever activity you're doing once you've been doing it for a while you get more efficient at it And so if you've been speaking in, say, English all day, and then you're coming to visit us in in Sevilla and you're nervous because you've got to practice your Spanish, well, I just think watching anything, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, watch a cartoon or just, you know, something you like um, for 15 minutes, it'll just help you to kind of get into the zone and maybe make things a little bit easier. Like flexing your muscles. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think there's a lot about language that's similar to exercise and working out. You know, the same thing as if you don't work out for a year, you can't suddenly go in the gym and expect to be as good as you were a year ago. And it's kind of the same with language. If you don't speak a language for a year, it's harder to get back into it. It's, it's important to be consistent with it. I wonder if listening to a song 
in the language that you're about to practice speaking and if that could serve a similar purpose. Definitely. I think that's a brilliant idea. What you could, you could get, I don't know, like a Shakira song or something up on YouTube with the um, subtitles and sing along, and then you can get the dopamine pumping and start the meeting on a positive note. Hips don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) Gwen, you also mentioned in your article that most of us have this natural tendency to compare ourselves to others, the comparison game. I know that's something you've personally faced. What have you found effective in dealing with that tendency? I think it's just about thinking about why, why am I trying to do this? What is my objective? And not being judgmental about yourself. The fact of the matter is someone's always going to be better. And it goes back to what I was saying before. It's the same thing in every meeting. If you're speaking in your native language, there are going to be people who are more advanced public speakers than you are, but that isn't putting you off. So why should it put you off if there's another speaker in the room who is better at at the second language than you are? In actual fact, I think it's better not to be the best person in the room because then you can learn from from the other people. Right. There's like a lot of pressure on you. I'm thinking back, you made reference to episode 127. Uh, Natalie was our, our guest host, but Veronica Corona was a, a woman that we had spoken to. Her first language is Spanish, but yet she was trained in English and she felt that she spoke better in English than she spoke in Spanish. She also reiterated her worries that her peers would be critical of her speaking in her native tongue because her English public speaking, if you want to call it that, seemed to be, or she felt she did a better job in English than she did in Spanish. Yeah, I think from work as a, I work as a translator trainer. And when I work with bilingual translators, what often comes out is there's always or I've never found anyone who is equally good at both languages. There's always a dominant language, and it tends to be the language that we were schooled in, and it, go, it goes back to childhood and then, uh, you know, in high school, and you're likely to be more comfortable in that language. And so it's normal then to find yourself in a formal situation and, and feel nervous. I think it's just lack of practice and our own insecurities. One of the occurrences that can cause us to fall into this comparison trap is when there are awkward moments, as you call them, or silences during the club meeting. Can you share what some of the misconceptions are about these moments? Yes, that goes back to something I was observing when we were doing our Zoom sessions during the pandemic. And sometimes people would drop drop in. I think a lot of people took advantage of everyone being online to go visiting different Toastmasters clubs around the world. And on the second Wednesday of the month, when we have our English session, all of the members are a little nervous because all of them are about to go in and do their roles in their second language. Before the session, they're they're often there looking at their notes and I guess thinking about what, what they're going to do and maybe trying to get over their nerves. If somebody came as a, as a guest and saw that they might misinterpret it as them being hostile or, you know, not being welcoming. But in actual fact, it has absolutely nothing to do with the guest and everything to do with somebody just feeling nervous. And so my point there was just, you know, don't automatically assume that because somebody isn't grinning at you or, or whatever, it's not that they are judging you badly because you're there in your second language. It's more likely that they're nervous or something like that. That makes a lot of sense. And Gwen, as you 
shared that example of the English meeting, which is the exception, not the rule for your club, it made me wonder, how does your role as the native English speaker in your club change when you're holding one of your English meetings? I think it changes completely because when it goes back to what I said about control, when I'm speaking in English, I've got that basic relax sense of relaxation that I'm not going to mess up grammatically speaking or not, you know, I'm not going to make mistakes and not know why. And so my feeling going in is different. And whereas everybody else is having to deal with this, the second language issue. And so they're all finding it harder. And then when we switch into Spanish, then I'm in the other position. I've actually found it very inspiring to work with by, by seeing it in from both sides, it's made it easier for me to be in the Spanish sessions because I can see that everybody is suffering from the same problem and it actually creates a very supportive environment. The other thing I'd say is, you know, when it comes to this nervousness that we all feel, the people that I find the most impressive are the ones with the lower level of English because it's so much harder for them, but they're trying anyway you're almost set up to fail in a way. If, if you consider that I failed because I made a grammatical mistake or I failed because I couldn't think of what words say, well, you're guaranteed that if you're going in in your second language. I was just so impressed by, by the courage that people show when they're doing that. And they, they get so much from it. You learn so much from putting yourself in that position. I think if I were attending a Spanish club meeting, the most common phrase in my speeches or table topics would be, como se dice? <laughs> Which means, how do you say? <laughs> Which is fine. It's it's important to just be talking. As we're speaking, and also just sort of glancing here again at the article, I'm thinking that quite often we think that we could visit a club to give a speech in our second language, but I'm also thinking we could visit a club as a native English speaker and use that as an opportunity to be an evaluator. So perhaps you're an English speaker who visits a Spanish club where the individual is giving a speech in English. I'm just wondering if you have any experience with that. Yes. What I would say, I, I have experience doing it with a French club that I visited as a guest. What I did there was I had a role the one week and I attended the meeting as a guest the week before. Before I actually did or said anything, I got to observe the workings of the club and I also got to meet the people. And so then the next week when I had to go and speak, I was less nervous about it. That could be a good idea. Say you came to our club on the second Wednesday of the month in an English role with the idea that then you're going to come back the next week to practice your Spanish and you'll feel less nervous about it because you've already, you know, broken the ice and got to know everybody. Yeah, that makes sense. As opposed to going in totally cold. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. I'd love to ask you a question about your experience as a translator with respect to training your brain. As I mentioned earlier with my icebreaker, I was trying to learn Spanish, but I also speak French and a little bit of Italian. And I know that we're taught or we're supposedly taught, maybe you'll you'll correct me on this, that you want to think in the language. But my brain would just go English, French, Italian, Spanish. And sometimes I'd actually end up with the wrong word. Like one time I actually used some terminology that I found out was Italian and not Spanish. Right. <laughs> any any suggestions on that? <laughs> when we speak, it happens so quickly and we don't think about it. So I don't see how you can force yourself to be thinking in another language. 
But I would say slow down, really slow like this. And it's fine because that gives your brain time to think and hopefully the words come to you that way. Because the other thing is that you're going to be speaking with an accent and that makes it harder for people to understand you. And so by slowing down, you're also helping ensure that the other person will understand you and try not to do the ums and ahs because that also makes it makes the whole communication harder. I'm also thinking sometimes you might want to use a, a different word. I know when I was preparing for my icebreaker, I was practicing my lines with my mentor and I kept tripping up over a word. I can't remember which what the word was. Instead of trying to get me to pronounce it correctly, my mentor said to me, why don't you use a different word, right? Instead of saying, um, mi nombre es, I would say, uh, mi amo. Just basically use a different terminology to say the same thing. Yeah, that's a really good idea because you've got the control of it in the end when you're, you're the one speaking, no one is forcing you to say anything. I mean, it's the same if you decide I'm going to go along and have a practice and I'm going to do a table topic. When you do a table topic, in the end, okay, you've got the subject, but you're the one who controls the way it goes. And so don't go down paths where, that you can't get to the end of. Take yourself into safe territory. <laughs> and you got to check your words too. Don't necessarily rely on Google Translate. Definitely don't rely on Google Translate, no. <laughs> I used the word altavoz for the word speaker, but that was like a loudspeaker as opposed to orador, which was the word speaker. Yeah, and, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the people in the club thought I was making a joke because I am a gadget guy, a tech guy. And it was like, no, no, that was an honest mistake. <laughs> <laughs> You're punnier than you thought, Greg. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ryan. It happens all the time, but that's, you've got to laugh at it. As long as you laugh at it and enjoy, then the whole experience is fun. Gwen, one of the most common recommendations that I've come across for absorbing and acquiring a foreign language is the power of immersion. What better opportunity for you actually living in Seville to be surrounded by Spanish all the time? I'm wondering, with that advantage, how has being a member of a bilingual club improved your ability to communicate in Spanish? It's improved it enormously because in the end, you're in a formal situation. I mean, I, I know it's Toastmasters and it's a lot of fun, but it is a business-like environment. You're in a situation where you have to maintain a certain level with the way that you're speaking to, the, to people and the way you're behaving. It's not the same as sitting with my husband's family, for instance, where the conversation's very informal, you're chatting about, about daily things. In the club, you are meeting different people from all different backgrounds and different jobs. It pushes you into a range of different conversations that you wouldn't encounter anywhere else. When you live in the place, it's very easy to avoid speaking the language if you want to. You can, you know, in, in, in cities all over the world, cities like Seville, there's massive expat communities. There are plenty of people who live here and don't really speak that much Spanish. For me, I mean, the best thing you can do if you want to learn a language is marry somebody from that from that country because <laughs> that absolutely forces you. You've got no choice there. Mm. The second best thing you can do is probably to put yourselves put yourself into a more formal situation like Toastmasters that you've got no choice. It forces you to participate and to stretch yourself a bit. My Spanish has improved enormously since since I joined the club. 
Gwen, you mentioned how some people come into the club and they they struggle trying to get the words out, but yet they really hang in there. I'm just wondering, why are they doing it? What's their motivation behind it? The motivation behind it, in my opinion, is that they need it for work. And so they have this extra motivation that a lot of native English speakers don't have because English is the international language of business. Perhaps this fear that we were talking about earlier, being they're being forced to overcome the fear because in the end they have to do it in their work, whether they like it or not. And so they can come to Toastmasters and hopefully practice and hopefully make their mistakes there. I mean, that's, that's the other thing we haven't touched on. We're nervous that we're going to make these mistakes in front of our club. But actually, that's the place where we should be making the mistakes because that's the place where we've come to learn so that when we go out into our, our different jobs, we don't make those mistakes. Yeah, that's right. The Toastmasters Club is a perfect place to make mistakes because it's it's an environment where people are there to to help you, right? To raise the level as opposed to criticize you where <laughs> that happens quite often in other places. Right. I mean, if you're going to go in there and do it perfectly, you might say, what's the point in going at all? That's not, no, no one is there for that reason. Yeah, that's true. When the article we've been discussing references attending bilingual meetings virtually, and of course, that's the format that a lot of clubs are using today. I wonder if you have any additional advice for those who are considering attending a bilingual meeting in person. I would say the first thing is breaking the ice. So the minute you get in there, say something so that you have started using the second language. Because I think from every word you say, the next word is going to come more easily. And also just remember the reason why you're there. If you've gone there to practice your language, then you want to get as much practice as you can. I think something that I would try to do is figure out who's in the role of table topics master and go and speak to them and, you know, maybe ask them, have you got an an easier question for me or something like that so that you can get yourself invited up to speak just, just to give you help yourself out a little bit. I know I'm going to be nervous, so what what can I do here to to make life easier? I think the other thing I I suggested in the article was contacting the club before you go so they're expecting you so that when you arrive, they'll all be ready to welcome you. And you can tell them, you know, this is my second language. I'm a bit nervous. Everyone will understand that, and they'll just do their best to make you feel more comfortable. Gwen, during your Spanish club meetings, Do you use the English term table topics and table topics master, or is there a Spanish version of that that you might use? There's a Spanish version of it, and I always get mixed up. No, there's Spanish versions for everything. Discursos improvisados is the table topics. I think it's maestro maestro de discursos improvisados. I think that's the name of the role. I'd need to Uh double check that. Well, this has been really exciting. And fellow Toastmasters, if you've really enjoyed this episode, I really encourage you to share it with your friends. In fact, if you or your family members, your friends are thinking of perhaps traveling as we exit this current situation, perhaps it's an opportunity to visit a Toastmasters club in another city or in another country or even in a different language. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and anywhere you find your podcasts, Ryan. 
Gwen, as Greg said, this has been great. It's been enlightening today. And before we let you go, I'd just like to ask, how can people find you online? What's the best way for them to connect with you, perhaps share uh, again with our listeners uh, your website? Yes, my website is translatorstudio.co.uk. And if you Google me, if you can spell my name, Gwenith, G-W-E-N-Y-D-D, you'll find me on all the social networks and I'd be very pleased to connect with you. And don't forget to check out Gwyneth's article in the April 22 issue, The Toastmaster, Seven Tips to Attend a Bilingual Toastmasters Meeting. Gwyneth Jones, thanks again for joining us today on The Toastmasters Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Gracias. Gracias. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.